thank you for your support of 94.1 FM. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is September the 6th, 2016. One hundred years ago, yesterday, September the 5th, 1916, I saw the release of a silent film titled Intolerance. What have I said? <laughs> I didn't see it a hundred years ago. I saw it last night. Okay. Uh, September the 5th, 1916. D.W. Griffith's masterpiece, Intolerance. Now, for my money, Intolerance is about his best effort. Uh, even though it is kind of stilted and clumsy at times, for today's audience, it looks like uh, something put together by amateurs, you know, jerks. And uh, in spite of the clunky editing, there's so much imagination, so much wild fantasy and awesome extravagance. Uh, I, I don't know what a masterpiece is. I don't even know what art is. I suppose it's anything you can get away with it. And I don't think he did get away with this one. Uh, I find it stunning. But uh, I just don't know what a class of, say, high school students would say. Uh, I always tell young, young people, you know, well, there's a quote, yes. Let your reach exceed your grasp, you know, uh, or what's a heaven for, something like that. Anyway, the idea is to reach as far as you can. And if you fall on your face, well, that's interesting too. Uh, D.W. Griffith was trying to say so much. It's a mistake so many of us make. Uh, he's desperate trying to explain and educate and show mankind's intolerance. Man's inhumanity to man. A grandiose subject, God knows. He tries to hold his audience with sumptuous images 
he uses voluptuous women. Uh, he's trying to reach the emotions of his audience, you know. Uh, at the same time, he wants to teach and instruct. He preaches to the viewer. He persuades them. He wants them to sympathize, empathize with the sufferings of humanity. Orson Welles always said that uh, film, you know, could change the world. One hundred years of cinema. Ah, have we changed? Corvidal said our education would depend entirely on the screen, the movies, and of course, TV and the rest of it. Of course, uh, as I said, the movie intolerance was not popular. Uh, D.W. Griffith was trying to answer his critics those who were angry with his earlier silent film, Birth of a Nation. Uh, that one is the infamous film, uh, a racist portrait of the South, the Southerners during our Civil War. Uh, he took his story from the novel The Klansmen. Uh, D.W. Griffith himself was a Southerner. His folks uh, were slave owners in a very small way. Uh, he felt that the critics were intolerant of him, of his script for Birth of a Nation, uh, particularly of his black male villains who assaulted white women, you remember. Uh, the fair young maiden intolerance is uh, Griffith's effort to show the universal cruelty of our species. Unfortunately, he, he does reach too far. That is, he tries to get the whole story of injustice into three and a half hours. He sets up four stories and overlaps the narratives. Uh, he wants to show how history repeats itself through the ages. He has a, a kind of logo, it's a little scene with Lillian Gish rocking a cradle. Uh, infinite, infinite humanity. Uh, human nature is a constant. His uh, image of this mother uh, rocking the cradle it's the ethereal Lillian Gish. She's there rocking the cradle down through the ages. Uh, she is forever giving birth to another generation. Um, I got to thinking, is he trying to say that the arc of history does bend toward justice? <laughs> Isn't that what MLK said? In this collage of this uh, this uh, three and a half hours of uh, tales, the modern story is just as full of villainy as the ancient one. For ancient history, he goes back to, to Babylon, 539 B.C. or B.C.E., before the Common Era. Uh, used to mean before Christ, B.C. Now it's B.C.E. before the Common Era. Anyway, I love May Marsh. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that that uh, tale is full of pagan rites. Tales from the Old Testament. Breathtaking spectacles. Movies in 1916 were not censored. I mean, not the way they... They were later. 
the code came in in the 30s. The dancing girls in intolerance are really something else. Uh, I noticed that the figures of the women 100 years ago, uh, they, they lack muscle tone. Uh, I guess today we expect uh, slimmer females. Uh, maybe the standards were different. The uplift brazier has yet to make an appearance. I digress, as I said. D.W. Griffith's stories uh, go back to 539 B.C. And the next is Jerusalem at the time of Christ. Uh, then he goes to Catholic France in 1572 at the time of the massacre of the Protestants called the St. Bartholomew Massacre. Catherine de' Medici is the villain in that one. Uh, oh, there are a number of French films dealing with that historical epic, but history has a way of depending on the view of the historians. The fourth tale in the Griffith movie is a modern story, a group of moral, highly moral matron, matrons, matrons. They want to pass laws to make people good. You know how that is. We have to, we have to uh, make people good. In 1916, that sort of thing was a political ploy, just as it is today. Uh, a hundred years, a hundred years, and nothing's changed. A thousand, two thousand, five thousand. Today, we have politicians getting elected, promoting social good, social issues, you know. Uh, of course, the government has no business dealing with uh, the things that we can take care of ourselves. The government is there to take care of those things which we cannot do for ourselves. You know, interstate commerce. Anyway, reproductive rights, none of their business. Uh, the love laws. Wow, that's the biggie. Remember that Defense of Marriage Act? Imagine taxpayers' money spent uh, not too long ago the Congress decided they wanted to promote marriage for unwed mothers. That was their solution to the problem of single moms. Marry them off. Yeah, sure. I digress. I digress. Griffith's film tries valiantly to tell the tragic tale of intolerant men and women. Uh, they are the ones who say their enemy does not think as they do, does not believe in their God. Now, he puts all this on the screen. He has little paragraphs here and there. Uh, he's describing the malady, the malady I call otherism, woman being the first other. Uh, now, because the film is silent, the director has to put too much of his opinions and and all the historical information in the written script up there on the screen. And I'm afraid that uh, mm -hmm, movies aren't for reading, they're for seeing. Uh, I think that today's film students would have a terrible time sitting through this movie. Uh, there is another, another one, let's see, it's just as long 
It's called greed. Yeah, that one's even harder. Uh, actually, with the great silent films, I think I'd pick Metropolis. But anyway, I started calling up my friends to tell them that intolerance was screening on the Turner uh, Turner Movie Network. Yes, uh, Turner Classic Movies is TCM Classics, right? Most of my friends were watching the uh, the end of the three-day marathon of Downton Abbey on PBS. Now, would you believe that uh, Downton Abbey was on PBS for six years, six long years, making us wait from episode to episode. Could have seen the whole thing from start to finish in three days on this holiday weekend. <laughs> Uh, Downton Abbey is said to be the most popular show ever aired on PBS. It's a, a mega soap opera, I'm afraid. I'll never learn to keep my mouth shut when my friends like TV shows that I want to deconstruct. Kind of like The Sopranos. I, I, it isn't that I disliked it. I just wanted to apply, apply, uh, a critique, uh, you know, The Sopranos was all about the modern uh, CEO, business families, you know, only in The Sopranos. They were crooks, exactly the same as corporate crooks, you know. Uh, now, in Downton Abbey, there's so much good stuff to enjoy that I should just keep my mouth shut and never mind pick-pick-picking, you know. Uh it's certainly not as sentimental as the movies of D.W. Griffith. Those were Victorian sentiments, you know. Real weepers. Downton Abbey, I guess, is the most expensive period drama we've ever produced. Well, that the BBC, the Brits, have ever produced. Uh, now, it's so posh that... I, I guess I don't dare compare it with Upstairs, Downstairs. That's the series we saw a generation earlier. I think the 70s mostly. In that one, Upstairs, Downstairs, uh, we saw a leading character commit suicide and another one went down on the Titanic. And the issue of the British class system was not an issue to be witty about. Now, Downton Abbey is set uh, in the first quarter of the 20th century. It ends in 1925. And uh, I think in 1925, we can still say that the British class system was functioning. <laughs> maybe maybe a um, hundred years later, not so much. But I, I hesitate to say there's more democracy in Britain today than there was 50 years ago. We see that they've become insular once again. They decided to opt out of the EU. Anyway, as the Earl of Grantham says, golly gumdrops, I concede the point, Downton Abbey, is deservedly popular. I only take note that a drama in which every character's life story ends happily, well, in the long run, of course, well, it may foretell something other than sweetness and light in the reality in which we are living. Yes, uh, 
think of the depression musicals uh, go against the realities we have around us. Uh, life stories, life stories. There were so many threads in Downton Abbey. I lost track at some point. Uh, I think possibly it does work to, what is it, have a serial going on and on, you know, so we can trace the development. Actually, I think if I'd seen it all in three days, I would have had a much different impression. Uh, in any case, happy endings, yes. Oscar Wilde wrote, uh, the good ended happily and the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. <laughs> I think Maggie Smith was worth watching. The whole thing was worth it for Maggie Smith. Uh, her last lines in the show's last scene, they are toasting the new year and they're speaking of the past and of the future. And uh, Maggie Smith as Violet, the uh, elder aristocrat, she says, as if we had a choice. Indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Remember Mort Saul, the comedian? He had a great album titled The Future Lies Ahead. Indeed, yesterday, yesterday, Paul McCartney's song, my favorite back in the day. All of us have a yesterday. There's a poetic move, movie about a woman named yesterday. Uh, it's set in rural Africa. Yesterday is the title of the movie and the name of the woman as well. Her father gave her that name yesterday and now. Today her husband and child are dead and she is dying of AIDS and yesterday. Yesterday is better. Yesterday is the country we can dream of. Uh, I don't think things were really better in the old days, but after all, it's easier to think about the past. It is the only thing we know. Anyway, I promised myself I promised myself that until the election, I would talk about nothing but women, 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 women. And uh, <laughs> particularly the black women in my book about feminism. Uh, uh, let's see, here it is, my book about feminism. And would you believe I'm opening it up to William E.B. Du Bois and... Uh, Yes, a male feminist. Oh, Du Bois, Du Bois, a scholar here. Oh, I'm picking up the wrong book. I'm picking up a wonderful book that I just got in the mail. It's by Susan Faludi, uh, In the Dark Room. Now, there is a woman, a woman for the hour. She's the author of Backlash. That's about the backlash to feminism. Then she wrote a wonderful book called Stift about the men who believe that they have had their jobs and their lives spoiled by the uh, <laughs> horde of non-white and uh, immigrants people, you know. Uh, Stift is a book for the hour. It tells us all about how Trump is doing it 
because these men will be his constituents now. Uh, Susan Faludi is the inheritor of Gloria Steinem as a journalist and uh, her new book, uh, Susan Faludi's new book, is called In the Dark Room. Oh, ouch, ouch, I just... Ah, I'm afraid uh, I, too, have an Oedipus complex. I'm uh, concerned about my attachment to my father. And it seems that Susan Faludi uh, has the same, the same, uh, the same shtick. He became a new parent and he identified himself as a complete woman now. Okay, she's got a trans father. I'm going into shock. Obviously, I must take this book home and read it carefully from cover to cover and find out why this very young woman, who has, of course, I think, uh, uh, just become a keeper of the flame of feminism. Uh, she says that her father absconded from her life, and when she went and found him again, she discovered that uh, her 76-year-old father, long estranged and living in Hungary, had undergone sex reassignment surgery. Her inquiry would turn personal and urgent. This was a new parent who identified as a complete woman. He was connected to the silent, explosive, and ultimately violent father she had known, a photographer who'd built his career on the alteration of images. Okay. Now, clutching this book in my hand, I have to admit that when I say I will read about and think about women only, at least until the election, uh, I see scrawled across my the first page here. I, I got this book in the mail today, yes. I'm saying here, uh, is this Venus envy? How is it that so many men appear to be really women and the other way around? Okay, obviously, I have not, I have not gone deeply enough into this, this, uh, new age thing. I don't understand it. I always thought we could continue, you know, in our biological bodies and simply express ourselves, uh, in, masculine or feminine ways but uh, apparently I, I haven't I haven't taken it far enough uh, Susan Faludi obviously has gone gone into the labyrinth uh-huh. she talks about her father as a Jewish fugitive in the Holocaust in Budapest Okay, dangerous politics. He's an alpine mountaineer, swashbuckling adventure. Oh, dear. This is too overwhelming for me. Uh, I will take it home, and over the uh, weeks of the marathon, I will study this, and I will put it in a folder called Venus Envy. I don't think that my father was in any way a woman. He was a doctor, a healer. But I'll have to think long and hard about this this business. Uh, the father-daughter connection. 
uh, is so, so, uh, what is that, stereotyped, so many cliches, I can't get past them. All that Freudian flack. Uh, never mind, I'm looking here to find another, <laughs> uh, another uh, male who is not, not a trans, not, he does not identify as a woman on any level. Uh, here, I have to tell you this because it's funny. Donald J. Trump. <laughs> Got a little book of quotations in front of me. Donald Trump, born 1946. This is a quotationary from Random House. I love it. 60,000 quotations from over 250 humors by Leonard Roy Frank. I love this one. The quotationary of wit and humor. And I'll read you one quote from Donald Trump. This book was published more than 10 years ago. Let's see, 16 years ago. It was published in 2000. Donald Trump, American real estate investor. And here's a quote. Donald writes, I play to people's fantasies. A little hyperbole never hurts. People want to believe that something is the biggest and the greatest and the most spectacular. I call it truthful hyperbole. It's an innocent form of exaggeration and a very effective form of promotion. Yep. Very innocent. Very innocent. Donald. There's another quote from the work of Donald Trump, he wrote, The point is, you can't be too greedy. <laughs> Hit the nail on the head there. There's a nice New Yorker cartoon in the recent issue. There's a large billboard out on a field, and the billboard has a, uh, a large wolf-like character, and uh, the words on the billboard say, I'm going to eat you. And there's a field of sheep all around the billboard, and two of the little sheep are contemplating the billboard, and one of them says to the other, Ah, he tells it like it is. <laughs> I love this quotationary. Let's see. Ah, uh, it quotes me. Jennifer Stone, born 1933. Broadcast journalist, American writer, blah, blah, blah. I'll just read you one. Yes. Integrity pays, but not in cash. I can do better than that. I certainly can. My favorite is uh, feminism is not a hygiene spray. Actually, if it were up to me, I would use a quote, uh, let's see, a little quip is called Cutting the Mustard. Sex is like sandwiches. There has to be something in between. <laughs> Never mind. Let's see. I think that I will put that aside for now, and I will go back to my black writers. I started them last week, and I see that I'll be off the air the next couple of weeks, and 
Oh, I just have so much stuff here, and uh, most of it's about the election, and gives me such a terrible headache. Uh, oh, I have another essay here on D.W. Griffith and American Life. It's in a book of my own, titled Mind Over Media. Oh, I have to save it for next time, along with W.E.B. Du Bois. You see how my scattershot approach is just... D.W. Griffith stated, Today the movies are accused of corrupting the morals of youth and contributing to the degeneracy of modern adolescence. This is all so much baloney. The sex morals of some of these country youths in my day were lower than a snake's belly. They'd never read obscene books, certainly never seen a motion picture, yet their conversations and actions were unprintable. Golly, I wish I'd known D.W. Griffith. I'll be back on the air one of these days. Till then, this has been Jennifer Stone. Go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. KPFA is super proud to present Aisha Curry, the exceptionally talented wife of NBA superstar Steph Curry. She'll be discussing the seasoned life, food, family, faith, and the joy of eating well. Her new book with her friend, Michael Mina, Bay Area celebrity chef, restaurant owner, and cookbook author. Aisha brings real joy to her food, her family, her faith, and her delighted audience. She'll be at the First Congregational Church in Oakland on Tuesday evening, September 27th at 7.30 p.m. There's free parking and wheelchair access at this KPFA benefit hosted by me, Linda Khoury. Get tickets at brownpapertickets.com or supportive independent bookstores. Find more information on the KPFA website for Aisha Curry, September 27th.